and welcome to Off Grid, the Not Really About Crosswords podcast. Although we have solved the crossword, we've given it a good sieving, had a stare at what fell out the bottom, and we're going to tell you our three favourite clues and explain how they work, and tell you about some words that we found interesting. In this instance, it was the Financial Times puzzle, number 16886, set by Alberich, which was published on Thursday the 9th of September 2021. As usual, we'll link to it in the show notes if you want to tackle it yourselves. By now you know who we are, unless you're a new listener starting at this episode, in which case, hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Void. Welcome. As well as telling you about that stuff I already mentioned, we will have a small general knowledge quiz inspired by the puzzle, courtesy of, as ever, General Knowledge. Hello there, General. How are you? Hello! I'm very good, thanks. Fantastic. All right, then. We will now read you our favourite clues. General, what's your favourite clue, please? My favourite clue was six down, which was complete idiot, boring clot, ten letters. And Dave? Mine, uh, I picked 20 across, for which the clue was staunch Democrat candidate finally elected. That's seven letters. And what about yours? I went for 15 down. Ben heard of riots in advance. Ten letters. Right. Listener, if you're not a solver, don't panic. You can just ignore those or wait until we explain them a little bit later. We'll explain the mechanics of how they work and why they mean what they mean and don't mean what they seem to mean. But meanwhile, we'll move on to you, General. Would you like to tell us which word in the puzzle gave you pause for thought? Well, for me, it was 24 across on the tiles. And that made me think, uh, you might think it made me think of Scrabble tiles. And it did, because that was uh, part of the clue. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. The tiles I want to talk about are the tiles that are on the what three words, a mapping geocoding system. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, I'm sure you have. It sort of seems to be everywhere these days. Uh, even my teenage daughter is uh, using it to sort of share her location with her friends. Uh, but for those of you who don't know what it is, basically, What Three Words is a mapping company that launched in uh, 2013, I think. And they had the brilliant idea, simple but brilliant, of basically splitting the world up into 57 trillion three by three metre squares, which cover the entire planet. And then they've allocated three words to each square. And they've done it in sort of rather a clever way so that similar words generally aren't on tiles anywhere near the one you're actually trying to sort of tell somebody a location of. And obviously it's much easier to get across a location if you use three words, then if you're trying to sort of dictate geo, uh, you know, GPS coordinates, you know, of latitude and longitude, which is very long winded. And so it's it's a great way by voice to tell a delivery driver or a cab driver or an emergency services operator where you are if you're in trouble. And But it has kind of grown. But I first discovered it in 2016, I think. And uh, I thought, what a brilliant idea. And I sort of tweeted about it and I got a thank you from the company and then I didn't hear about it again <laughs> for another about another two years yeah after that and uh, I'd had a look at it and a play around with it and I immediately thought well this would be 
although this is a great idea for sort of mapping and all that, it's also a, a wonderful sort of idea. I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of sort of word games out of this thing because you've got the whole globe covered in these tiles. Each of them has got three words allocated to them. You know, like, so, for example, you know, bend, mouse, assume will take you to the London Eye and fence, garage, unable will take you to the House of Commons. Now, given that there's 57 trillion of them, I think they use a dictionary of about 40,000 words in English. I think it's lesser in other languages because they don't cover the sea. It's only the English version that has also every sort of uh, three-metre square bit of the sea covered. (laughs) But I thought this would be great for word games. And I I did some research when I was looking at this, and I found out actually one of the founders is Jack Whaley Cohen. Is that a name that means anything to... Either of you guys? Oh, yeah. He's one of the question setters on Only Connect, isn't he? Oh. He's a, yeah, he's a famous quizzer. Apparently, he won Countdown several times. And he, he, some, he's behind that quiz, quiz, quiz Twitter feed that you, you follow, Boyd. Uh, they do sort of a weekly quiz, I think, don't they? A Friday quiz, which is quite fun to have a quick go at oh, every week. Apparently, he was sitting, sitting with his mates and, and uh, they came up with this idea. It's him who suggested using words on the grid and he's one of the uh, one of the founders of the company oh, cool i heard one of their rationales was that not uh, it, well in many uh, lesser developed countries not everyone has an actual address as such whereas we'd be familiar with 26 the high street basildon or whatever not everywhere has similar address structures and this is a way yeah. for delivery companies to get things to rural Bangladesh or wherever it may be. Yeah, or indeed, if you've got just like a massive, long rural road, how do you identify just a point along it? Yes, quite. Yeah. Yeah, so as well as, um, you know, those sort of the obvious kind of uh, applications, you know, I think that it has got a lot of word game uh, applications. And this was sort of confirmed when I found a a guy called uh, Chopin Clues uh, on Twitter, at Chopin Clues, had created this Twitter feed in about uh, September 2019 called What Three Clues? And he'd come up with this uh, concept where he would give three crossword clues and each clue would lead to a word. You put the three words into what three words and there was a, a fourth clue where you had to insert the location that you'd got from solving the first three somewhere in the clue, you didn't know where, to make the clue make sense and then solve that. And this, he kept this up for, you know, with the help of other setters, myself included in the end, because I, I quite enjoyed setting them as well as solving them, as did a number of the other solvers on there. Yeah, I had a go um, at that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, th- I thought it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, solving and setting them. And um, it was a shame that he, I think he gave up in the end. It just got a bit too much. And he only had a sort of handful of, uh, of, of, of followers. Oh, well, we'll put a link to the Twitter account and uh, maybe he'll pick up a few more. <laughs> it, it, I liked it because it was a sort of short form puzzle, um, something different to a clue, a little bit longer and, and unique. And it was, it, was, it was a really good idea. Yeah. But um, another game I'd, I'd been playing sort of before that for a while is to, to find what three words that are appropriate to the locations which they describe. <laughs> because the, the, whole, uh, the whole thing has been sort of uh, uh, allocated by algorithm. So every square mile 
has 287,775 tiles. So if you're talking about, you know, a, a, a town or a city, you know, the, the law of averages suggests that one or two or more of the three word uh, things are going to fit that location quite appropriately. So you know, if you sit there, you know, and you're on a long train journey and you've got nothing better to do, I mean, people pay Candy Crush, don't they? I like sitting there, <laughs> clicking on squares in uh, what three words and seeing if I can find appropriate locations. And the dot, first dot, one, dot, and... Yeah, yeah well, you're first... going to present us with two or three, aren't you? Go on, then. I, I am. I've got more than that, actually. But the, 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 the first one I found, which is the best, was... Um, Safely registers starlight, which takes you directly <laughs> uh, to the Lovell Telescope at Jodrell Bank. Marvellous. Which, which I thought was pretty good. That's fantastic. Others tend, you have to sort of tend to, most of the ones you find you tend to have to interpret the wording, but sometimes a little poetically. Or But uh, Whip's Match Party will get you to the House of Commons. Um, right. House of Lords has got a couple of good ones. Uh, Reform speech debate will take uh, you to the House of Lords. That's nice. And this, which uh, I, I guess will seem appropriate depending on how you view our uh, venerable lords. Wisdom, vast fonts. <laughs> so, you may or may not. That's the that generous uh, for the House of Lords. Yeah. Quite a lot where there are two um, words that are appropriate to the location, like chimp, send lion, will get you to London, London Zoo. London Zoo? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the door of number 10 Downing Street is slurs, this shark. <laughs> no, some other good ones I found. I was having a look at CERN the other night, uh, the uh, Large Hadron collider mm -hmm. and if you interpret the last word more in the sense of veneer or you know sort of uh, final studies kind of thing we have science talents finishing hmm. and and i quite liked uh, on the more poetic side explored pulsing jigsaw given they're looking <laughs> into the sort of nature the component of pulsing, parts of pulsing subatomic particles which are a a, a, a venerable jigsaw uh, then other people have sort of done parodies and things. I mean, somebody did a what three Fs with the F word spelt out and I know uh, changed the map to swear words. I was, was, was going to say, I know there's yeah. one with, with swear words in it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. There's what three birds, which uh, renders the, the map of the British Isles with British birds only. <laughs> three British birds would take you anywhere. I think there's one with emojis as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah, what three emojis? Yeah, there's that. Oh, and then um, <laughs> one I found that was uh, on my sort of appropriate locations list, which is also a bit of an innuendo, was Bottom Finger Stink. And that will lead you to a place called Kaka. Right, so. <laughs> uh, which, again, is quite appropriate. And um, Where is Kaka? Japan. It, it's a city in Turkmenistan, apparently. He says, googling it. I don't know if, if, if it's that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. It might be. I, couldn't, I can't remember. So here's a little haiku I found. You might try and guess where this uh, I made from. Uh, three locations at the same place. Void, headline, pepper. 
Idea Courtyard, Stardom, Richly Podcast Sneezed. <laughs> That's a little haiku I made from three. And, and do you know where they lead? Um, no. Uh, no, no. they lead to a camping shop. Do you know any idea what it's called? <laughs> oh, the great outdoors. Off grid. Oh, my hey! God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And, um, uh, and my, my, finally, I will tell you my favourite of all time, Scary Unthinkable Thud. Scary Unthinkable Thud. Was this the uh, Halloween clue? Any ideas? Clue? No. It's quite dark. Madam Two Swords or something. Oh, the sight of, um, uh, sight of the execution of Louis the Sixteenth. No, it's Hiroshima. Oh, uh, okay, even darker. Ooh, um, which I thought was, and so I did that as a clue for the anniversary of the. the mm. um, uh, yeah, so that's that, that's the best I've found so far. But if anyone else wants to to sort of start this game, I'd love to see what other people Pick come up, up with. The whether, yeah. whether we can find any other really good sort of appropriate what three words locations. Very good. Okay, brilliant. So. Dave, would you like to walk us through your favourite clue? My uh, clue of choice was staunch Democrat candidate finally elected, which was seven letters. Uh, And the reason I picked that was that while words in crosswords can mean several different things, we get used to conventions where they usually mean one particular thing. You know, it's sort of like all the things with flower, which turns out usually to be flower and you're looking for a river, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's quite nice when a setter doesn't do that and uses them to mean something slightly else, just to wrong foot you a bit. So you see the word elected in a clue, and 90% of the time that means in. If a candidate has been elected, he or she is in. But here, for once, it didn't mean that. I, that's why I kind of liked it. Uh, the definition part was staunch in the sense of stalwart or loyal. Democrat is D. Candidate finally means the last letter of candidate, so E. And in this sense, elected is in the sense of took part in the electoral process, which is voted, giving you devoted. Staunch. Not a complex clue by any means, but nice to see elected meaning something other than in for a change. Yeah. Solid, solid clue, I'd call that. Yeah, yeah, nice one. And what about you, Void? What was your word that uh, that triggered thoughts in your mind? I want to talk about sport. In particular, a minority sport. And in any minority sport, I think amongst the community of players, the question often arises of, oh, wouldn't it be good if our sport could get into the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, I am a juggler. And you may think to yourself, well, juggling juggling isn't a sport. And in many ways it isn't. But in some ways it can be. You can have competitions based on juggling, say based on who can juggle the most number of objects or who can juggle for the longest amount of time. Uh, or you can have an artistic performance competition. Um, if you like think in about... the gymnastics. Yeah, it's, rhythmic it's, gymnastics. It's no less of a sport, surely, than synchronised swimming or equestrianism, is it? Yeah, or, or, 
or ice dancing. You know, all of these things have yeah. uh, artistic performance elements, but a high yeah. level of skill involved as well. Um, and at every juggling convention, there will be a section called the games or the juggling Olympics. And there are various different forms of juggling competitions of differing degrees of seriousness. There are some very silly ones, but there is a sport. And here we come to the words I've selected from the grid, because there are two words in the grid. One is average and another one is player. And there is a sport of which I am an average player. There are a lot of things of which I am average player. <laughs> <laughs> well, for this sport, I would like you to imagine a beach volleyball court. Right. Either on sand or perhaps on grass or even in a gym or whatever. Uh, complete with a net and two players per team. Sometimes it's three players and if beginners are learning to play, then maybe it's even more. Every player holds a juggling, a juggling club in each hand. So there's two clubs per player. But there is one extra juggling club, usually of a distinct different colour, from which the sport gets its name. And this club is referred to as the volley club. So one player on one of the teams will stand behind the service line, start juggling their two clubs and the volley club, and then they'll serve the volley club across the net to their opponents, who one of whom then has to catch the volley club whilst going into a juggle. And continue as a club to juggle, right. Yeah. And you are allowed to pass the volley club two or three times to your teammates, but then it must be returned over the net, and you score a point by landing the volley club on the floor in your opponent's court. So the game continues in much the same way as volleyball, but involving a lot of juggling. But if one of the players drops one of their two clubs, as long as the volley club is still in the air, maybe passed to one of their teammates, the point continues, but the person who dropped is then out of the point. And what usually happens is they run off the court to get out of their teammate's way. Right. So you can end up with just one player per team continuing the uh, the Because volley. his teammate has dropped a club. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's the basics of it. But just to give you one further idea of how it works, if you forget volley club for a moment, and just imagine two jugglers passing clubs to each other. Right. In uh, standard differing juggling patterns. Now, these two jugglers want their partner to catch their clubs because otherwise the pattern falls apart so in order to make that happen they try to give nice passes to their partner with an exact number of spins and in the exact place which makes it easy to catch Mm -hmm. now this is what you want to do in volley club when you are throwing the volley club to your teammate however when you're throwing it back over the net you want to make it as horrible to catch as you possibly can so there will be helicopter spins reverse spins extreme fast and furious vicious spins and it's a very active sport and i think it's a really good competitor sport and a spectator sport and that's why i think volley club would be juggling's best chance of getting into the olympics 
Oh, is there, is there any sort of application underway or anything? I mean, I'm not sure how the process works. Do they just nominate and decide every year? How does it work? I think it's, uh, at the moment, uh, it's on too much of a, a low-level hobby um, basis. There are There is a German championship every year, and every, there's a European championship every year, which is held at the European juggling convention i was gonna say there's, there's got to be a certain degree of how many people are participating hasn't there as well yeah i think to become an olympic sport you would need to have a lot of countries who would have a body club association of their own a good degree of participation from country to country or at least a, an organized league or or competition yeah. in every country and i don't think we're really there yet so um Come on, volley clubbers, spread the word. <laughs> and we will put some links to some videos in the show notes. I was going to say, it certainly sounds like something that would be interesting to watch. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, General, do you want to talk us through your favourite clue now? Yeah, just to remind you, my favourite clue was six down. Complete idiot, boring clot. And, uh, well, there's obviously sort of two uh, words for idiot in there, idiot and uh, clot. Uh, the first idiot is uh, represents the word knit, and the uh, boring uh, is a container indicator uh, to say that it's a piercing or inside. Clot, uh, another word for clot, uh, but it's not a word for an idiot in this case. It's the word congeal, as in uh, clotting blood uh, so it's knit inside congeal giving you congenital uh, which you know you, you generally think of as you know sort of a you know ha having a defect from birth or something a congenital defect uh, but in this case the definition is complete because a secondary definition in in chambers, and I, and I like it, uh, you know, when a setter does this and, and uses a, a non-obvious definition, a secondary definition of congenital is complete and absolute, as if from birth. Um, uh, but the example they give um, is congenital idiot. Oh. Although I would have <laughs> thought congenital idiot was actually referring to the first definition, because if ever I call somebody that, you know, I'm thinking deliverance. I'm not thinking complete and absolute. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking congenital. You know, but uh, uh, but anyway, it, uh, but uh, Albrecht gives us another clue within the clue because of the sort of repetition of the idiot, which kind of gets your mind thinking on the right track, our complete, as in idiot, our congenital idiot, you know, so uh, so I liked that it had that extra level. I liked the nice surface of the sort of insult of a, a complete idiot, boring clot. Um, I thought it was a very, a very nice clue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned that meaning of congenital from having encountered it in a previous crossword being clued as something like complete <laughs> and yeah. solved the word play and thought, but that's not what that means. And then looked it up yeah. and <laughs> yeah. realised. And you go oh, away and oh, look it up and you go, oh, yeah. so it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, Dave, take us away. Oh, dear. Right. Now, in terms of uh, choice of word to go from, uh, I was looking at three down, which was omen. 
But The Omen is, of course, uh, a famous film uh, directed by Richard Donner, who sadly passed away just this summer at the age of 91. So a good innings for him. Uh, he's probably best known for the original Superman film with Christopher Reeve in 1978. Uh, though he also did okay. the Lethal Weapons series uh, and those 80s Stone Cold classics, The Goonies and Scrooged. Um, <laughs> the Omen was kind of his breakout film. He'd done three fairly obscure films earlier than that in the start of the 70s. But um, it, it had a modest budget. It was kind of riding on the wave of religious supernatural horror thrillers that had included uh, you know, Rosemary's Baby uh, 1968 and obviously The Exorcist in 73. Um, but I want to talk about the score. People who know me know that I'm into film music. Yeah, as a kid of the 80s growing up practically in the local cinema because my mum worked there, I think I was part of a generation that was kind of blessed with a golden age of big melodic symphonic scores from the likes of John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith. Both of those guys had started out doing television in the 50s. Uh, there was a chap called Stanley Wilson who was music supervisor first at Review Studios. Who knows? And then at Universal, which is obviously a more familiar studio name, uh, his job was basically to hire composers to work on all the TV series that those studios were producing at the time. And they just have a corridor full of offices. Uh, and in one, there'll be Elmer Bernstein, and in another, Quincy Jones, and in another, Dave Grusin, and Henry Mancini, and Lalo Schifrin, and Williams, and Goldsmith, and so on. And many of these guys later said how they've really appreciated and learned from each other in that sort of hothouse environment uh, and how Wilson gave them a lot of latitude to do what they wanted. At any rate, they moved into film in the 60s and built up a reputation in the industry for reliability and quality and so on and then hit the big time in the 70s. So by the time of The Omen, Goldsmith was already quite a big name. He'd done a very successful avant-garde score for The Planet of the Apes in 68. Uh, and a bunch of war films and westerns. TV themes for The Waltons, The Man from Uncle, <laughs> Dr. Kildare, things like that. Um, but he's the kind of person that sort of uh, impulsive, addictive uh, kind of personality who just wouldn't turn down any commission at all. So he was doing dozens of films, good, bad, and indifferent. And he was doing film music concerts by that time as well. So Richard Donner went along to one of these concerts, along with the Omen's producer, Harvey Bernard. Uh, at some point in the concert, they kind of looked at each other and said, this is the guy we need. And the only problem was that Goldsmith's fee at that time was something like $15,000, and their music budget for the film was 5000 uh, so they had to go begging to the studio for a budget extension. Please, can we have some more money so we can hire Jerry Goldsmith? Uh, thankfully, they did. They did. Uh, yeah, it was worth it. They, they, they got that. At some point fairly early after being signed on, somebody asked him what, if any, musical ideas he'd got as to where he was going to go with the score. And he said, uh, sort of off the cuff, I hear voices. Which kind of led us to one of the most iconic horror scores of the century, I think. Um, between Goldsmith and the choir master, they put together a sort of choral black mass of admittedly slightly iffy Latin, um, and the song was called "Ave." The song was called "Ave Satani." 
this at this point I'll interject with the limerick. Um, there were hundreds of movies he scored, and by fans he is rather adored. But after ages of waiting, twas the film with Hail Satan that won his Academy Award. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, so come Oscars time, both the score and, rather bizarrely, the song were nominated. One of the very few nominated songs not in the English language, uh, definitely the only one in in Latin. It was up against, uh, shall we say, more traditional songs, uh, like Gonna Fly Now from Rocky uh, by Bill Conti and Evergreen from A Star Is Born by Barbara Streisand, uh, the latter of which actually won. It just strikes me, it's funny, thinking back to one of our earlier episodes where we were talking about Gone with the Wind, how in the 30s, the mid-30s, filmmakers were worried about getting in trouble for using the word damn. Uh, How they would have thought that only 40 years later, by the mid-70s, they could be nominated for the best song Oscar with a song whose lyrics are basically, uh, we drink the blood, we eat the Christ, uh, we eat the body, raise the bo- raise the body of the Antichrist, hail Satan. You know, it's like <laughs> how social mores change. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. So the the song didn't win oddly, but the score did, and it turned out to be the only score that Jerry Gold's uh, uh, only Oscar that Jerry Goldsmith would win. In a film career that ran from the Western Black Patch in 1957 right through to the Brendan Fraser movie Looney Tunes Back in Action in 2003. Boy, I bet he was so pleased to bow out on that one. Well, yeah, there we are. So, you know, um, I think film score fans hold long grudges over what are seen as the Academy's mistakes or omissions in the scoring category. Uh, <laughs> Alex North, nominated 14 times, never won. Ennio Morricone, you know, Ennio Morricone thought it was one of the greatest film composers. He's written hundreds and hundreds of films. He's won once at the age of 87 for The Hateful Eight, which everybody kind of said this was a... a, a they no- gave it to him. Just because they hadn't given him one when they yeah exactly the the not dead yet award yeah yeah um, which was well timed but you know you think about those you know the 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 mission and and yeah exactly all those that didn't win all those spaghetti westerns and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah so goldsmith just for for the um, the omen not for planet of the apes not for la confidential not for chinatown and especially not star trek the motion picture which in 1979 lost out to A Little Romance by Georges Delarue. A lovely score to be sure, but a very traditional kind of backward-looking one relative to the massively influential Star Trek, which you know, I think people can probably remember and know how Star Trek theme goes, but I don't think anybody can remember how the Little Romance theme goes. Uh, <laughs> I've not even heard of it. <laughs> no, quite. So there we are. Uh, I think all that talk of music, does that lead into your choice, Void? Is it something? No. Uh, it might lead into my clue. Your clue, yes. <laughs> Tell us about that then. It doesn't really lead into my clue, but my favourite uh. clue was <laughs> 15 down. Ben heard of riots in advance. And similar to what you were saying, Dave, about your clue, I like this because... There were three words here that could, to a 
seasoned crossword solver be indicator words to to do something in the wordplay. Um, heard of suggests uh, a homophone. That's quite a common device. In advance might suggest that you need to put something before something else. And then riots was the last thing I actually alighted on, which is, in this case, an anagram indicator. So in other words, you're looking for a riot of the letters in some of the words. Ben heard of. And if you anagramize that, you get beforehand for the meaning at the end of the clue of in advance. That's very nice, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So we have a general knowledge quiz? Let's do it. Yeah, it, it, my quiz is a very short quiz, and it, it, one of the clues, which I, I'm not going to spoil, involved replacing the first letter of the word to form another word, and in this case it was replacing an A with an O. Uh, so for my quiz, I've got three pairs of definitions that refer to different words that only differ in spelling in that one begins with an O and one begins with an A. So let's have... A... Like over and over. Yeah, or if I said worthless thing, the answers would be abject and object. Right. Yep. yep. So there's a, oh, okay. it's a bit like a double definition clue, except you've yeah. got two... You've got two words to find, one beginning with an A and one beginning with an O, but otherwise they use the, exactly the same letters in exactly the same Okay. Letter. Yep. Your first one is bum duty. Bum duty. Ooh. Bum duty. Okay. I can so... give you the number of letters if you would like that. Uh, if you want to try without first, then... So the question is, is, is the bum the A or yeah. the O? Well, yeah. And and is it bum as in posterior, or is it bum as in useless, or is it bum as well, in that's for you hobo? To, to work out. Can you um, think of any bum words that begin with an A or an O? Yeah. Awful. Hard to get a duty out of that. Um, yeah, arse. Hard to get a duty out of that. <laughs> so, duty. Duty could be a tax or an obligation. Oh. Obligation? Ab is there a word? Abligation? I could have said, which might have been a bit fairer. That, that's wrong. Uh, might have been a bit fairer to say bum responsibility might help you a bit. Uh, so we're looking for a four-letter word, aren't we? We are. Dave's got it. Yeah, I haven't. Go What's on, responsibility Dave? always in a clue? Oh, I would have jumped to duty. Are you going <laughs> to blurt the answer, Dave? I, I will, if you like. I think we're yeah. looking for onus and anus here, on. That's we? correct. Well done. <laughs> okay, good. the next one. Fighting fit. Fighting fit. Fighting fit. Okay, so fit could be appropriate. It could be healthy. Um, hmm, or it could be seizure. Shall I give you a clue? It's eight letters. Eight letters. How about adversarial? Opposite or... and opposite. That's right. Well done, sir. Ooh. Excellent. 
Excellent. If you're opposite someone in the ring or you're opposite opposing them, you're fighting them and fit, apt, apposite, you know, so. Phew. And final one, I think you should get. This isn't too, too tricky. Vehicle circling judge. Oh, we've got three words in this one rather than three just two. Circling judge. Oh, now there's a word for what, what a judge vehicle around the country. Circle. Doing... Yeah, other way around. It's the vehicle that's circling. Okay. Vehicle circles. What vehicles circles? Oh. What vehicles do circle? That's a very good question. Jeep uh, trains on the circle line. <laughs> Think further afield. Oh. Oh. Are you there? I think I am. We're looking seven letters here, aren't we? We are. And would you like to reveal, Dave? That's, I'm sorry, trying to give Void a further clue. Um, <laughs> I'm just not getting there. Circling, as in circling the earth, perhaps. Yeah. Oh. Orbiter and Arbiter. Yes, well done. Uh, I think Dave won that one. Yeah. Oh dearie me. Are you keeping are you keeping tally chaps of uh of which one of you is uh doing better in the in the quizzes throughout the shows? Oh I I, I retired after getting the answer before <laughs> the question was given last uh, last time. Uh... Alright listeners, thanks for listening once again. As always, we'll have show notes, including links to all the weird stuff we've talked about at offgrid.tlmb.net, as usual, uh, along with details of where to find our own crossword puzzles and how to contact us on Twitter, should you feel inclined to do so. Yes, and I would like to recommend, since I mentioned Ken Dahmer's briefly in passing, and since I told you to go and buy one a few episodes ago, well... You might as well go and buy the books on Kendama that I wrote. So do that, please. <laughs> General, would you like to recommend anything to the listener? Yeah, I would uh, recommend that you uh, go along to the Twitter feed at Jimjar, which is spelt like jam jar, one word, but with an I instead of the first A, where you will find a monthly topical cryptic crossword called Cryptopica. And if you uh, message Jimjar, he will also put you on his emailing list so that you don't miss it. Thank you very much. Those are always challenging but entertaining. So thank you for pointing us to those and for your help and input today, General Knowledge. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. Thank you. Join us again next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to what you obviously by now know is Off Grid. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word for us and rate and review us if you can. That would be lovely. Thank you to Alberic for the puzzle this week and to the Trudy as ever for our theme tune. And if you're a new listener who found us after we were featured on the Guardian Crossword blog, then hello. Welcome. And hello also to listeners newly noted in Sweden, Spain, Kenya, El Salvador, Iceland and Georgia. Welcome one and all. Come on South America, fuck your ideas. <laughs> Antarctica, you're not even on the map. Don't know if there's anyone in Antarctica, but hello if you are. Thanks for listening everyone. See you next time. Bye bye.
More edit points, Void. More edit points. Yay. <laughs> Never Better leave the live one for a while, lads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.